Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Low Crossing Church, want to welcome all of our campuses that are joining. I know many of you are live, and uh, this uh, weekend, uh, all of our Adams County locations are still closed to the public, and you're viewing us online. But the good news is, this is going to be the last week of that, and we're going to be joining together at our Adams County locations next week. So be praying about that. Be praying that the uh, infection rate in the Adams County area, uh, area will just continue to go down, and and uh, there won't be any of those uh, complications that happen. I am so thankful that, uh, you know, we can take these pauses and we can come back and always uh, err on the side of safety uh, for our congregation. At the same time, uh, the message of Jesus Christ can continue to go out. And I'm excited that we have the opportunity to be able to share again this weekend. So, Uh, I'm in a series uh, called The Cure. Uh, It's uh, based on the New Testament. Each week, we're taking another book. Hopefully, you're doing your reading plan. You're reading through that book ahead of time. And uh, then what we're doing is exploring it uh, every weekend in the sermon time. And we've made it to the book of 2 Thessalonians. Now, 2 Thessalonians is a really, really small book, just three chapters. And it talks a lot about uh, the future, about uh, this man of lawlessness, the Antichrist. But there are some things in there that I think are so applicable to what we're facing right now. And in order to understand that a little bit better, I'm going to take you to the book of Matthew and the teachings of Jesus. Because Jesus said this before he returned the world would go through this really difficult time, a time of lawlessness, a time of rebellion where the seams of society would come apart and it would be unlike any time that we've ever faced in the world. This is what he said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21. He said, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. I know what some of you might be thinking. It would be like, wait a minute, that's happening right now. That's exactly what the Thessalonians thought and how many of us might feel uh, when all these issues are surrounding us, uh, around us right now, and it's so close and it's so personal. It's really hard for us uh, not to give in to uh, what I would call lower story thinking. (coughs) Our relationship with Jesus should keep us from that. It should keep us from that lower story thinking. But you know, let's be completely honest with one another. Sometimes that's just really, really hard, especially with what we might be experiencing, it may be really up close and personal uh, for you. And, uh, uh, you know, when when I look at this, it causes these attitudes uh, to rise up in me, these lower story attitudes that I really don't want in my life. But they're hard. They're really hard to, uh, to keep pushed down. They're hard to push aside and to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. And you know what? That's exactly what the Thessalonians 
we're worried about, we're dealing with, we're these lower story attitudes. And in this little book of 2 Thessalonians, each chapter highlights one of those attitudes, kind of like a a, a pre-done outline for us. And the first of those attitudes that the Apostle Paul dresses with the Thessalonians is the attitude of frustration. Let me ask you a question right now. You struggling with frustration? Bet you are. I certainly am. I mean, just when you think things are starting to go right, they go wrong again. Uh, Just when you start feeling a little bit of uh, solidarity under your feet, you turn on the news and it all kind of turns into shifting sand, right? It's really easy to give in to frustration. And I think that a lot of frustration is really born out of this idea that life isn't fair. This isn't fair. When was the first time that you realized that life isn't fair? So what I'm preparing for uh, what I'm sharing with you right now, uh, I started thinking about that for me. When was the first time in my life that I really felt like life wasn't fair? I remember one year, probably around 1966, six, seven years old. And uh, one of the things I really wanted for Christmas uh, was uh, a, a toy called the Close and Play phonograph. And it was actually, you could open it up, put a record in, close it back down, and it would automatically play. And for Christmas that year, I actually got what I wanted. I remember unwrapping it and I was so happy that I got it. But before I ever got to play with it, even one time, my older brother sat on that close and play phonograph and broke it. You know, for me, that was maybe the first time that I felt like, you know what? Life isn't fair. Uh, Maybe it was the time when all the other kids in school made fun of me because I wore my brother's hand-me-downs to to, uh, school because my parents couldn't afford to take me out and buy me clothes of my own. I would just have to go down into the boxes in our basement and find out whatever kind of fit me. And it wasn't in style or fashion, but I had to wear it anyway because, uh, because that's what we had and that's what we could afford. Maybe then was when I felt like life really isn't fair. Maybe it was because we didn't have much and my brother had a a bicycle. It was a dated bicycle. And of course, he'd moved on to cars and I wanted a bicycle and my parents couldn't afford that. And they gave me my brother's old bicycle. And uh, I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I can't, uh, I can't afford to go buy a 10 speed bike of my own, this little three speed bike bike with the regular handlebars. What I'll do is I'll save up my money and I'll buy some ram horn handlebars like what 10 Speeds had and and, uh, I'll get some spray paint. And what I ended up doing uh, was I totally remade his bike to look like uh, a 10 Speed. And I was so proud of that. And I remember the the morning uh, that I came out because my bike was in the garage that someone had gotten in our garage and stolen my bicycle. And I thought, you know what? Life isn't fair. Or maybe it was when I went to college and uh, my my parents uh, had a problem with my dog while I was at college and they had to put uh, my dog to sleep and they didn't ask me or tell me ahead of time. So when I came home from college, I just had to find out then that my dog was gone and I didn't feel like life 
was fair. You know what? I bet you have some examples yourself of when you realized that life isn't fair. And when you do, it causes a lot of frustration. I think that there's a lot of talk about social justice right now. But there's one fact in this sin-filled world that you just can't get away from, and that is that life isn't fair. I remember the first time that I went to Haiti on a short-term mission trip, and there was this little boy, brand new, an infant, that had a, had a, um, a birth defect that was easily remedied if he lived in America, if he wasn't Haitian. But because he was Haitian, and there really wasn't any kind of medical care that he could get to. It was a death sentence for him. And I realized in that moment, once again, that life isn't fair. There was nothing I could do to change it. How is that fair? Right now, people in America are riding in the streets and they're doing it because of what they perceive to be unfairness. Yet we're one of the richest countries on the face of the earth. Our medium household income is about $60,000 a year. And two thirds of the world lives off of less than $10 a day. You tell me how fair is that? Fairness and justice, is that what you really want? Is that what I really want? You know what? I don't think so. Now, now, hear me out on this. You see, what fairness says is you reap what you sow. Fairness says that the wages of sin is death. That's what you deserve. Fairness says that there isn't even one righteous person. Fairness says that God's judgment is coming for all of us. But let me tell you what grace says. Grace says that you don't get what you deserve. Grace says that somebody else paid what you owe. Grace says that you have undeserved favor before God. Grace says that God will have mercy on you. Grace says that someone else's goodness can replace your lack of goodness. Grace says that I get what I don't deserve. It's not fair. It's not just. And there is only one proper response to it. And that's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul says, I, we ought always to thank God for you brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love uh, all of you have for one another is increasing. You know what? God will take care of all the unfairness in the world. And he'll do that when he chooses to do that. But in the meantime, what is that cure for the frustration that comes from all the unfairness? We just need to be thankful. Thankful for his grace in the midst of all of it. So that is your antidote to frustration. It's thankfulness. Well, that's one of these lower story attitudes that the Apostle Paul uh, addresses in 2 Thessalonians. The second one is another one that we are really connected to right now, and that is fear. A lower story attitude that you're dealing with and I'm dealing with right now. The attitude of fear. I cannot personally remember a time in my life where there has been greater 
widespread fear than there is right now. There's some very real scary things that are happening right now, and it is just nonstop hammering at this lower story attitude we have of fear. We are afraid of this virus. We are afraid of what it can do to us. We're afraid of how it can affect our families. We're afraid of the violence uh, that's happening in our society right now. We're afraid of uh, that we might say the wrong thing and then we'll get canceled for it. We're afraid of so many things out there that are out of our control. And, and that fear does some incredibly powerful things to us, bad things to us. It paralyzes us. It makes us paranoid. And it pushes us to greater and greater isolation. You know what? The Thessalonians, they were afraid too. And here's what they were really afraid of. They were afraid that Jesus had already come back and caught up all the true believers and then left for heaven and they missed it. That's a really scary thought when you think about it. There's a guy by the name of Tim LaHaye, and he made a lot of money uh, on this whole idea. He wrote the whole Left Behind book series. He sold 65 million copies, not to mention what he did with uh, movies and video games. And when you think about it, this idea of being left behind about God's people being taken up to heaven and then everybody else just left to fend for themselves without any influence of God or the Holy Spirit is a really, really frightening thought. Like Jesus came back, he came back for his people, but guess what? You didn't make it. You're not one of his people. Now the apostle Paul addresses that in the second chapter, 2 Thessalonians 2 one and two, he said, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become uh, easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by a letter asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. You know what this tells us? That apparently somebody had sent a letter to the Thessalonian church using the Apostle Paul's name, something that Paul had not written himself, to make people afraid that Jesus had already come. Like some sort of ancient hacking, some sort of, uh, you know, ancient terrible joke. Now that's a... That's a debilitating fear that the Thessalonians were feeling. <clears throat> now, how do, we, how do we deal with the debilitating fear that we have right now? You know, the Bible says this term, don't be afraid. Do you know how many times it says it? 365 times in the Bible. That means one time for every day of the year. And it's not, uh, hey, why don't you think about not being afraid? It's not a suggestion. It's a command. A command not to be afraid. But how do I do that? Because there's so much out there to be afraid of, right? 
Well, the answer to that is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. Let's read it together. It says, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. You hear those two things that the Apostle Paul said there? Stand firm and hold fast. How are you doing in the area of standing firm? How are you doing in the area of holding fast? The truth of God's word is something that provides us a firm place to stand, even when oftentimes we feel like we might be slipping or we might be falling. It's something that we can hold on to when everything else is uh, being blown away by the storms of life. You think about it right now. So much in our lives has been deconstructed in the last five months. All of the things that maybe you or I are used to depending on, right? I mean, being with family, being with my friends, being with the church, going to work, being out in society. It just seems like everything that I put my faith and trust in is being taken away. Have you ever thought that maybe, just, just maybe, all this that I've depended on going away is forcing me to see the only things that I truly can depend on? You know, that's what David said in Psalm chapter 40, verses 1 through 3. Listen to what David said. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. And he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. And many will see and hear the Lord and put their trust in him. Maybe the cure for fear is to make sure that you're standing on the rock of Jesus Christ, that you have a firm place to stand and you hold fast to the truth that he's given you. Let him take that fear out of your heart, give you a firm place to stand and put a new song in your mouth. Well, the third lower story attitude that these Thessalonians were fighting through uh, was fanaticism. So the first one, you know, frustration. Second one, fear. And the third one, fanaticism. Now, now, what do I mean by that? Well, look around you right now. Okay, just take a moment, uh, put your armor on and look at the news. People are going nuts. We are living in a world where people are going nuts. You know, people joke about a zombie apocalypse, and I'm really beginning to wonder now because a lot of people are acting like zombies. People are storing up food and water. They're buying weapons, extra ammunition. They're brushing up on their survival tactics. The craziness that we're experiencing right now in this world is not of God. It just isn't. Paul wrote about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Verse 33 said, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. So, so much of what we're seeing 
in this world right now, it's got nothing to do with God or good. It has to do with disorder and confusion, and that's Satan. Satan is the author of confusion. But even though Satan may be the author of confusion, we don't need to be the distributors of it, do we? The response the Thessalonians were having because of these fear triggers was not the peace that God wanted them to either have or example in their life. Instead, this is what they did. They just stopped working. Well, Jesus is going to come back anyway. I'm just going to pack my bags and stop working. They stopped living out their faith so that other people would be drawn, <coughs> excuse me, into that faith. They gave into their rumors. They gave into the fears. How many of you are giving in to the rumors and giving into the fears? And it causes a kind of fanaticism inside of you, a reflection of what you see out in the world. The Apostle Paul addressed this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. He said, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer, believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. In our situation, even uh, right here in our little region of the world, we've experienced people who have engaged in idleness, and disruption. I think a lot of this disruptive behavior comes out of that idleness. I think a lot of the the disruptive behavior in the world right now, in our country right now, is coming out of idleness. Now is the time for us to put the very most energy into sharing the gospel. And you know why? This is why. Ready? Jesus is returning. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, the Apostle Paul declares, and then the lawless one will be revealed. And then listen to this, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. People today are frustrated and life isn't fair, but Jesus is returning. People are afraid right now, afraid of all sorts of things, but Jesus is returning. People are going nuts right now, but Jesus is returning. Sure, let's admit it. Things will get worse and worse There's going to be hardships and there's going to be difficulty, but Jesus is returning and it'll be a day like no other day. The Bible says that the scroll, the the, the sky will roll back like a brittle piece of parchment and then he'll come. He'll be riding on a white horse with all the saints and the armies of heaven behind him. He'll be wearing a red robe emblazoned with King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He'll subdue the earth and defeat the devil with the power of his voice. He comes as a bridegroom coming for his bride. And we are that bride. 
The enemy will be defeated. All that was wrong will be made right and we will celebrate his victory at his table. And as this life that we know now vanishes with his voice saying, behold, I am making everything new. We will finally receive the goal of our faith and the realization of our greatest hope. Jesus is returning. I don't know when, but his timing will be perfect. I I might be waiting for him here. I may be riding behind him, but I'll tell you what, I'll be there and we shall behold him. The one we've worshiped, the one we've been baptized into, the one we remembered in communion countless times, the one we prayed to, the one that we sang to, the one that we uh, shed tears with, the one we trusted in, the one we fell short of, that we depended on, that we followed, that we strayed from, that we ran back to because he was faithful because he kept his word and because he loved us. In spite of all the things that are happening in this world, be assured of this, that Jesus is returning. Jesus has fulfilled every promise he ever made and he'll fulfill this one too. And until he does, Let's be faithful to him. Let's walk with him. Let's trust him. We're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.